I am Jacek Kolesiński, FIU Radcliffe's Art and Design Incubator's Tech Conversations host. Welcome back to season two of FIU Radcliffe Art and Design Incubator Tech Conversations. We start the season by celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month with three inspiring conversations led by our producer and co-host Maggie Salazamaro. Want to welcome back our listeners. We're celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month um, here at the Florida International University Radcliffe Art and Design Incubator, part of the College of Architecture, Communication, and the Arts. I want to welcome in um, someone who uh, I'm happy to call my friend and former co-worker um, a few years back, and she's established herself as a, you know, a great Hispanic author of our times. I'm happy to say that her books are just incredibly amazing. They take us to through these stories and through these journeys that are so unique. I want to welcome in Anjanette Delgado. Yay! Hi. <laughs> you're such a good producer that you're even the audience, too. <laughs> so, How are you, Maggie? It's so good to be with you. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for accepting the invitation to join our podcast. You know, of one of course. The, it's my alma mater. When we were talking Hispanic heritage, I said, you know, there's this friend of mine that's a writer. I haven't seen her in a while. And Jeanette Delgado, I said, you have to know. She wrote this book that was called um, Heartbreak Pill. I said, and, you know, the FDA, you know, authorized that pill immediately for all of us that have been um, from heartbreak. So I want to sure. say that you caught me at a good time because I have a new book that comes out in just over a month, which I'll tell you about a little bit in a, you know, in a little bit. We'll talk about um, that. I'm really excited about. Yeah, we're excited to have you. You know, we here at the incubator, you know, our essence is creative practitioners and their journeys as entrepreneurs. And you are a creative uh, practitioner and you're also an entrepreneur and you've been an executive in the business for many years, very successful. So we're excited to listen to your journey. So let's kick it off. Let's hear about Anjanette Delgado. You know, take us through your journey, the creative process. Talk a little bit about that for our listeners. Um, well, I, I think that writing had a lot to do with my journey as an entrepreneur in the sense that I was an employee when I started writing, when I decided that I wanted to write fiction. I was a journalist and I had a, you know, it wasn't a nine to five because I was a producer, but it was it was a, a set job in a set place. Right. And it occurred to me that it was going to be impossible, that I needed more time to write. And this is something that I think faces every writer. So I had to figure out how to create income, how to use what I already knew. I didn't have the time to go back to school to learn something else that I could, you know, create a business with. And what I did producing news, producing specials, um, working in television, isn't something that you do on your own. You have to be hired by a company, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not a lonely thing unless these days you do it with your own iPhone and you do everything yourself. So I started, um, working as a freelancer and it was when people thought that being a freelancer was the same as needing a job and it was so crazy maggie because people would be oh oh you don't have a job and i would be like no i don't want a job i'm a freelancer this is my job right um i think that has changed now especially post-pandemic and i started you know just kind of doing what i did but going into the same places where i had used to work and helping them set up projects just kind of finding what you're good at. What are you really, really good at that? That you, you, it's a talent that you've honed. Maybe it could be within, like there's tons of TV producers, 
But what I decided to do was just be the person who could come in, prepare a show to launch, launch it, and then leave, right? And, and leave it working. And so I did that for many years. Um, and that's how I was able to write. Eventually, I wanted to create more passive income and I got into real estate and into rental companies. And I, I've loved that journey as well. It's a different, right? It's more passive. Um, but regardless, at the end of the day, if you have a dream and you need time for that dream, you're going to need to figure out what do you have? What do you know? Who do you know? Um, what time do you have? What resources do you already have that you could turn into something that will get you what you want, which is more time. If that makes sense. I, mean, I want to reference something that Netflix put up yesterday that has gone viral. It says, you know, follow your dream. We started with DVDs. So kicking hey. off that, you know, it's become a global phenomenon, especially fueled by the pandemic, the streaming wars. You know, talk to me about how Anjana the Storyteller came to be, because that's a novel all of its own that you still haven't published. Oh my goodness. It's probably a memoir, but I think that um well, I, I came. I come from a violent household, right? Um, as a as a child, and part of what I was taught as a child is macho. Don't don't make yourself the center of attention, right? You're you're not you're not that important. And um, and then when I grew up and I studied journalism, I did it because I was afraid to be an author. It didn't. There didn't seem to be to me a poor girl in Puerto Rico any route to publishing books and actually making a living from them. Um, so I thought, okay, I'll do the next best thing, which was journalism. I'll still get to write. Um, I think a lot of people do that, right? We, we think we can't do, we can't be the concert pianist. So we decide to be the piano teacher and it's okay to be the piano teacher, but it's also important. I think to, at some point when you're strong enough, try for what you really, really want, right? Not to settle. So I was a journalist and um, at some point I, I had these stories in, in me. I had these things that I wanted to do. Now, journalism is also a little bit like my parents in the sense that when I was a journalist, you don't make yourself the center of the story. I think that has changed a lot. Now we're more open, right, to subjective journalism. But back then, no, you just your stories. Nobody wants to hear you are there as a conduit to to what's happening. And so for me, it was really hard to start writing fiction because I was so conditioned to not be the story, to not, you know, to not be in the middle of it um, or to be silent about the things that had inspired me or that had affected me as a child. And so one day, I think I think I was in the middle of a heartbreak. Mm -hmm. I I got a yellow pad and I began, I just saw the scene. And that's the way that all my novels have been written, all three of them. Um, I saw the whole scene that opens the heartbreak pill. I saw this woman so deranged with grief in a lawyer's office, just you know, a, a professional woman, a composed woman who lost every, you know, lost it completely lost it, lost all control. And what did that mean? What did heartbreak mean in that sense for, to the self, right? What happens when heartbreak goes, it, it's, it's extreme, right? And, and, and I felt that a lot of the violent stories that I covered as a journalist had their, um, their birth in heartbreak. Heartbreak that was not managed, heartbreak that happened in a patriarchal society, um, within a sexist culture sometimes, right? 
um, that there were all these things that heartbreak was the key to, um, whereas we treated it like a woman's issue or, you know, something to make a joke about or something for a romance novel, only romance novels to deal with. And so that's, that was the first book. And after that, I just couldn't stop. I just couldn't stop. I went to, I went to FIU and I got my MFA in creative writing and that really opened up so many doors and, you know, just showed me all that, that I could do if I really um, wanted to write. And I think it gave me the courage also to, to change my life and rearrange it so that writing could be the main thing. So I have a question. So you mentioned, you know, your, your upbringing, does your, your, you're from Puerto Rico, right? Right, I am. So, so does your Puerto Rican, you know, Hispanic, you know, woman um, influence, you know, is it in this book? Is it present within your stories and is it part of your creative process? Or do you just, is that just not part of the backdrop of some of your, 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 your books? You know, I, I, I had somebody ask me this question some years ago, a few years ago. And I remember answering that I didn't really think about that first not consciously, that I really wrote for women, that what was foremost in my mind were women. When I imagined people reading my books, I, I thought of women and not necessarily any one um, nationality or another. But in the last few years, I think post-Maria, um, and I think also as I, as I began to research the novel that I'm going to start writing um, soon, I... I realized that, of course, it is in everything I do. All my stories are, you know, and I think for every writer, um, whether you write about that place or not, that place is part of you. It just is. Um, your fears come from there, you know. I think um, that's why I, I think it's celebrating Hispanic heritage, part of its importance, and I think people think it's just like a, um, like an institutional celebration, you know, that, that may not mean anything the rest of the year. But I think it's like the one time during the year that we reflect on using our identity in our everyday lives and all that we do, right? Not being um, bifurcated, if you will, as, as people um, uniting everything. And I feel that what we are, where we are from, what we know, our childhoods, the places that we came from, those are gifts that we give to this country, right? So I'm not 50% this and 50% that. I'm 200% all that I am. And my Puerto Rican-ness, if that's a word, I give to, to my community here, right? And what I learn and what I, what I can do here, I also give back to the people in Puerto Rico. I bring back with me, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, we we pick days to celebrate, months to feature people, you know, and we don't realize that we, you know, in our everyday lives, we have all these contributions that we're making. It's not just, you know, from September 15th through October 15th. Absolutely. That, that our Hispanic, you know, heritage is out there. So let's take it to the next question, because, you know, we talk a little bit about Heartbreak Pill there and how, you know, the book opens with something that you kind of saw in front of you. So where does the clairvoyant of Cayocho come from? Because, uh, you know, uh, someone that, um, you know, completely honest with you, I love anything that has to do with psychics and horoscopes. It caught my attention. And, you know, it is part of the Hispanic experience to be, yeah. you know, engaged with horoscopes and, you know, who oh, didn't know Walter sure. Mercado, rest in peace, right? 
Um, of course. Mucho amor, right? I have my his sticker right here. I wish you could see it. It's on the base <laughs> of my computer. So where where does the inspiration for that book come from, especially with the Calle Ocho name on it? Yeah. Um, well, when, there, there are a couple of things, right? So Calle Ocho was always a place that I wanted to write about. One time, I remember one day being there. I think it was a Saturday morning, really early, or maybe a Sunday morning. And it was very quiet. And I remember falling in love being there. I, I fell in love with someone while walking those streets and and you know, when the bustling Cayocho that we all know wasn't as bustling as, as we think of it. Um, and just, I think because it was so quiet, it was so early in the morning, I could imagine what it could be. And there's a lot of imagining what Cayocho could have been. I don't think it's going to be that anymore. I think it's, um, it's gotten very commoditized. Um, but it allowed me to create this place called Coffee Park, which is right off of Cayocho where I could create the place that I thought it might, it might have been. Um, so Cayocho was just a place that always fascinated me. Just, there was so much energy there. I would get there to have a cup of coffee and I would need a notebook and a pencil because I needed to sit down and write something. It would immediately come to me. I think the other, the only other place that I felt that really strongly is um, Mexico city. Um, but then like all, all the novels, they start with a scene, something that I see in my head. And in this case, it, was, it came from a question, right? And it was this woman who had been married to this man, this philandering man, for 25 years. And at some point, she hates him. She really, 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 really hates him. She loves him, but she hates him. She hates him so profoundly. And my question was, what would happen if this woman were to act on her hatred, right? <laughs> um, and that's the character of Olivia. So um, the clairvoyance in this novel is really just a metaphor because Mariela, the protagonist, is really a very bad clairvoyant. She sucks. She's not, She's not good. She's not good at not good. She's not good at all. And but you, But I needed that protagonist to kind of show how women sometimes, women and I think men also, how we sometimes refuse to see, how we become our own, um, our own worst enemies when we become blind to whatever it is that we want to become blind to. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. That takes me to my next question. You know, I, you know, I've followed you over the years and then, you know, I saw on your Instagram, you posted something that said, I'm checking into, I believe it was the hotel San Michelle here yeah. at Gables. And you said, I'm trying to get, you know, this vibe for my character. Is that how you kind of, cause I hear a lot of people, even actors and writers, actresses, they say, you know, they try to get into character um, and well, they kind of came, go, yeah. know, play out the, the scene. Is that what you were trying to do? Or are you just trying to get inspired away from the, the, the hustle and bustle? Um, in this case, it was in reverse, right? I've never been to the St. Michel. And oh, wow. a scene in the St. Michel is where the clairvoyant opens in that hotel. She's having, Mariela's having a tryst with the woman who hates her husband, Right. She's having a tryst with Hector. And, and I thought, oh, that little hotel kind of tucked in a corner. That's a great place, kind of in the middle of everything, close to Calle Ocho, but not too close. That would be the place. But I never went. So I had photos and now we have the internet. And I was able to do a whole lot of research. And I wrote the scene. Um, and then I was looking for inspiration. I thought, you know, I've never been there. I'm going to inhabit my character. <laughs> 
And I'm going to go to the St. Michelle. And so I had a blast. I had a whole weekend there on my own to celebrate my 54th birthday. Wow. Um, there we go. Yes, but in reverse. In reverse. All I did was write and eat <laughs> and sleep. Write and eat and sleep. You know, I've, I've been there and it's it's quite, to me, it's always magical visiting, you know, the, San Michelle, the hotel as it is. So let me go to the next question. You have October 21st, you have... As, I, as I'm aware of this new book, it's called Home in Florida. Talk to me. There's 35 dream writers, correct, that you mentioned in this. Is this like a, a compilation? Talk a little bit about that. It's an anthology. My anthology. Editor, yeah, University Press of Florida. She contacted me because she had this idea. She wanted to do this book. Obviously, it's a, it's a press of Florida. So it needed to be based or, you know, have that angle and um, I'm a Latinx writer. So she said, how do we do this? What is the angle? And so I start researching and we began working on it without knowing exactly what was going to be the organizing principle. But as I'm researching, I decided that I really wanted to have work by Reynaldo Arenas in the book because I had heard and I had read that he hadn't been very happy here. He didn't enjoy Miami um, or Florida. And, um, and I wanted that perspective. I said, what did he see when he got here as a Marielito, right? <laughs> what, what did he find or not find? How, how, why was it impossible for him, being a lauded writer already, to make Florida his home? And so uh, as I was researching Renando Arenas and I was researching that time of his life when he was here, I ran into, I stumbled upon um, an interview in the New Yorker, I think it was, in the New Yorker, where he talks about what he wanted to do moving forward. And he wanted to create a literature of uprootedness. And I said, oh, my God, that is it. That is the thing that unites everyone, regardless of the country. It even unites us, the ones who are Latino, and the people who are Native to, you know, in the United States and particularly in Florida, because we're both part of this uprootedness cycle, right? Whether as hosts or, or as, or as um, hosted. <laughs> um, and so I began to think about this concept, just really, you know, the heartbreak of it. What, what happens? What, what happens to you as a person when you leave everything you know behind? How do you get to that point where you decide this is gonna be my home? Maybe this is home. Maybe this is home now. And there are so many people who can't return home or home stopped being home, right? Because home is a construction. It's a construction of a place in a particular time with particular people and particular circumstances. And once you leave, you really can't go back. Not exactly. So absolutely right. But I love the title home in Florida. I mean, I think it, it kind of resonates with you know, us, not exactly someone like me who was born and raised in Florida, but for people that have, like you said, they right. leave where they're from and they don't, they come back, but it's, it's never the same, you right. know, that nostalgia that you kind of live at the beginning, right? Yeah. And the thing is, I mean, for me, Florida could be a metaphor for any place. Um, I even talk about people who come here as immigrants of their own lives, right? In old age or divorce or whatever brings them to Florida. They're immigrants to Florida from another phase of life, from another life that doesn't exist anymore. Um, and so for me, the real, the real point of the book, the real heart of the book is the uprootedness, that process that unites us. I see it as a continuum 
imagine a constellation and when you just get here you're at the start of the constellation on one end and after you've been here a while you realize that you're home and you're at the end of that constellation but in the middle there will be times when you don't feel your home even if you were born here even if you've been here 30 years almost 30 years like I have you still feel uprooted displaced in some part of yourself right um, and then the great thing about it was that because it was in the middle of the pandemic, everybody was home. So I went for my dream list of writers. I, um, I have work, the, the book has work by uh, Richard Blanco, some beautiful poetry. Janine Capocruzet gave me a beautiful original story. Liz Balmaceda, the Cuban Pulitzer Prize winning author. Ana Menendez. Um, just her story, uh, the apartment is amazing. It's just an amazing um, feat. Um, and just so many others, you know, Chantela Acevedo, Alex Segura. Um, and then, of course, we have work by Renando Arenas and Guillermo Rosales and Judith Ortiz Coffer. And I thought those writers who aren't with us anymore, who left us too soon, were just the right kind of texture, right? This isn't a travel brochure about Florida. It's it's the story of, and sometimes we love Florida and sometimes we hate it, <laughs> to be honest, right? Yeah. We love hate. Um, and, you know, I'm not even talking about the rest of the country. You know, we're the punchline sometimes of the jokes. And yet those of us who live here know that there is something special here, something that, yeah. has, made yeah. stay, that has made us stay, that we choose to stay, right? So yeah. I'm, super excited. I'm super excited for this book. Um, and I just heard, I just got news from my publisher that Poets and Writers chose it as one of its new and notable anthologies and it's, that'll be published in their November issue and I'm psyched. That is so exciting. So tell, tell our listeners, is there a book reading? Is there going to book? Uh, There's there... all kinds of things. Yeah, we're going to be at the Miami Book Fair. So I okay. hope people will go and, um, and see us there. Um, we will have a reading later on with, you know, at Books and Books. Of course, that's my second home. I only need to bring in my bed. One of these days, that's what I'll do. <laughs> uh, I'll I have here. my own brochure here from the Miami Book Fair. So the Miami Book Fair, it starts November 14th, right? right. We are on November 21st, I think. It's our event. Right. So, um, yeah. And where can they get information? I can put it in the post, a website. Yes, absolutely. If, if anybody just Googles Home in Florida, University of Florida Press, they can go to the link. It'll it'll take them right to it. They're going to see the trailer for it. But also, there's a 20% discount um, that I believe ends today, the 30th. Yes, it ends today, actually. Okay. Um, and it's a 20% discount. Oh, I want to mention one more thing. The cover, which is beautiful, is a painting by another Florida transplant, which is Nereida Garcia Ferraz who has been, you know, her work has been at the, at the local PAM, um, University of, uh, uh, Museum of Florida, many other institutions. And we're so thrilled that she's part of, um, of our book. That's amazing. I mean, when I saw 35 Dream Writers and then I started reading the names, I said, this, this has to be like the greatest anthology, right? I, I, think, I think it is. And I think they, because of them, you know, what they did, what they brought to it. You know, nobody phoned it in. People just sent their best, their best. They really wanted to, to make a mark. Patricia Engel is in it. I love her story. 
um, just, you know, Jaquira Diaz, just so many writers that, I, that I've long admired. And they're such great people, Maggie. No, I know. And Anna Menendez, you know, I recently met her. Um, I know that when we started talking about interviewing you, (laughs) she mentioned your name. I said, I've been mentioning her name now for a while. So it's so great to see, you know, some of the their works and 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 their, you know, their names on there. So let's take it to the end of this conversation. You know, as someone who has been through the creative process, is an entrepreneur, you know, as you stated at the beginning, what advice do you give? those creative practitioners um, that are aspiring, not, you know, maybe not an author, but to take down a path, a creative path, what, what advice do you give them? Because I guess after such a long career that spans what, more than three decades at this point, right? Two or three decades you've been in, in, in media. Um, what, what kind of advice do you give them? Because, you know, the landscape has changed so much, for example, as to when you and I began um, in this field, like what advice would you give them? Cause sometimes I ask myself that question. I say, what would I tell, you know, my 18 year old self or my 21 year old self? And I kind of battle with that. So what is your advice? Well, I think there are a couple of things. I think not enough attention is given to knowing how to communicate, to knowing your own story and knowing how to talk to others about yourself. Right. That's why I think identity and Hispanic heritage is so important. I think the two things that helped me the most throughout was a being willing to tell others about myself, to tell others about what I'm doing, to share with others what I'm doing, and also to talk about what they're doing, right? It's not all about self-promoting. It's about forming a community and helping others as well. Um, And then the second thing, believe it or not, and I tell this to my daughters all the time, is knowing how to write. You cannot imagine the number of people who are about to graduate college and still will hand something in with typos or with bad grammar or whatever it is, right? And that alone will get you, will open many doors. If you can read and you can write and you can do that really well, you already have a leg up as an employee where you get you know, experience, but also as an entrepreneur where you're going to have to be telling people about your service and your business and what you do every single day. Um, what so about the use of technology? Because sometimes, you know, in, in the incubator, we have the fellows working on their projects and we yeah. take a, a quick look at it and we don't see their social platforms. Um, we don't see an interactive video when they open their web page. Do you yeah. feel like the use of technology is important? Like for you, has it, you know, promoting your books and, and your and your other businesses, the use of Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok. I, I think it's important in the, in, for me, it's important because it allows me to create community. For me, what's important is not the method, even though technology is very a very important method right now. Um, but for me, it's the end result. And I do want to say, I don't, I, I know a lot of people, I've taught a few who are intimidated. Oh, I, I'll never get through the technology. Therefore, I'm just going to opt out altogether. And um, you don't need to feel um, insecure <laughs> about technology. Do what you can. If you don't understand Twitter, but you understand Facebook, then do that. You don't understand either. But you can once in a while write a blog post on a web, you know, on your website, or be a guest blogger for somebody. Then do that. Um, do what you can, right? Because the important thing is creating community. And however you find to do that, that's great. And I think if people were not so intimidated by it, they would get it faster. 
Because totally agree. I just feel like this new generation, you know, because I'm an adjunct as well, and I feel like sometimes they don't, when they're writing some of the stories that I work with them, I said, remember, you need to promote your story. If you're doing a five o'clock, a six o'clock newscast, you need to tease it ahead of schedule. You know, what is that punchline, that tagline that goes with your post on Twitter, on Facebook, on the website? And and I feel exactly what you said. It's like they feel intimidated. And I said, but isn't this the tech generation? <laughs> yeah. I mean, in the end, it's a method, right? Yeah, and you're right. It, it builds community. So, Anjanette, I want to thank you for joining Tech Conversations again here at Florida International University. We're in season two. We're celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month. It's been an honor having you here because we worked together many years ago and we bumped into each other, stayed in touch over the years, but never had this great conversation about, you know, the creative process and entrepreneurship and, and some of your projects. So, you know, we'll keep an eye on you because only good things to come. Thank you again. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and good luck. May the Thank third happen soon. Yeah. Hopefully season three coming soon. Thank you so much.